0: Welcome to the Intern Whisperer, the show all about the future of work.
1: So today's guest is Chris Kremetzos, founder of the annual PodFest Multimedia Expo, PodFest Masterclass that's coming up, and also just PodFest in general, everything that's built around PodFest. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. As you know, our show is all about business, the future of industries, jobs, everything that, you know, makes us uh, have a living, and also about internships. But I'm going to let Robin kick off our first question.
0: So Chris, you studied at Stony Brook University and Nassau Community College in New York. So why did you move to Florida when New York is the success story capital of the United States?
2: I mean, you're, you're saying that during uh, 2020, the, everybody's leaving the state. <laughs> so maybe That's I fair. saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> um, I, I just saw an opportunity in Florida. I really enjoyed the state. I enjoyed a lot of the freedoms that come with the state with no state tax and a lot of the economic freedom. So I was one of those people that kind of uh, liked the warm climate, liked the tropics. saw a state that was very uh, conducive to business. And I also, you have to realize I grew up in an area where I saw when people just keep increasing and increasing taxes and the pressure, uh, what that did to the middle class population. And I grew up in a middle class home. So I guess part of the reason was I enjoyed the weather, but another part was economic freedom. So um, I guess I was a little bit ahead of the trend, but I just saw the writing on the wall. It was either uh, Tampa, Florida or uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. I re- and I love Arizona. There was a couple places, but uh, I landed in Tampa.
1: So you like the warm climates? That was a key consideration. It sounds like
2: the palm trees were definitely um, growing up in New York. We never saw a palm tree, so the first time I saw them down here, it just it was really cool, really tropical. But it, it's also you know there's um you have to realize is that real estate was like a third of the price when I mm. when I moved. So oh, there's sure. a lot of things. You're like, what? You could actually buy a house for how much is that even possible? It almost seemed unreal. So there was a lot of cool mobility thing that you could, you could get, but I would have done well in New York city. You know, I would have just taken the train in and hustled, um, you know, hustlers hustle wherever they go. I just enjoyed the, the climate and um, kind of the business environment of the state. I saw Florida on, on the growth and I saw New York kind of already had plateaued when I moved and now it's uh, backtracking a little bit. It'll probably still be okay, but right now it's giving back some of its leads. I agree.
1: I think that, uh, well, my family, when I was growing up, I was born in Kansas, but I've lived all over the United States, Arizona, California, you know, you name it. I've been in most of them, it seems like, if not living, passing through. But um, cold is not something I enjoy. I like to visit it, and I want to live in warm climates. Yeah, 100%
2: agree on that one. Yep. Uh, Same thing. I like visiting it. I just don't want to live in it year round.
1: Yeah, no more, for sure. Um, So, PodFest, we're going to build off of some of this previous success. And back in August, you had PodFest, the Multimedia Expo, the big giant summit where you broke the Guinness Book of Records. Why don't you walk us through what that looked like? That was the biggest thing ever. So many people. I'm going to let you go ahead and share all the glory.
2: Well, uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective, we have a live event called PodFest. Uh, expo which is a live event like physical live event we were very fortunate that in 2020 we were the only event of our size to be able to go on two days later the country shut down so i mean you want to talk about luck you couldn't uh, be any luckier Mm -hmm. for someone that produces live events sometime in the summer we decided to set a guinness world record for largest virtual conference in the world for podcasters and we got the guinness book involved and we had 300 and I'm going to say conser- I'm going to be conservative on how many speakers, but it was somewhere around 320, but I believe it's in the 350s. But 320 speakers, we w- wind up getting attendees from 46 countries, 45 states. We had three languages spoken. We were teaching in English, Spanish, and Mandarin, um, and we had people from India to Singapore to all over the world. Nairobi. Um, And we were able to bring the world together thanks to this new virtual medium. And we got an app called Whova that allowed us to integrate with Zoom. And we brought everybody together. And it was really an amazing thing. So we're finding out um, in a short little bit. I'm pretty sure that we will be the official Guinness World Record holders. It takes about a month or so to certify a record like that. So um, tomorrow we'll be doing the announcement. But when you're listening to this, more than likely we will be the Guinness World Record holder for largest virtual conference in the podcast space.
1: That is really exciting. And I'm going to say congratulations a day in advance because I know you'll hear it and it's going to be amazing. And there were over 5,000 people. I cannot even imagine 5,000 people on any one platform, but I don't think they were all on there at one point in time, right? Not all 5,000?
2: No, because we we spread it out. We had three tracks going on every day at the same time concurrently. So at any one time, we had anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people.
1: That's unbelievable, so many people and i remember seeing because i was i was one of those lucky ones i got to be a speaker and it was amazing i was looking at the conversations that were going through and it was just so overwhelming i was going oh my gosh i can't even keep up with them um and i was grateful for the fact that you had pre-recorded shows so it allowed me to be able to go back and listen to them because the the knowledge that was shared it was I can't even begin to put a value to it. It was really, really good, and you have such a great value system to it.
2: Yeah, we you know we do a lot of things that most people don't do. So we get to know our speakers, we bring them together, and we tell them what's expected of them. We put things together uh, for them, and then we set them out into our conferences and we give them the platform and we set the stage. So it's one of those rare opportunities where our speakers literally have hundreds of people they're speaking to virtually. That just doesn't happen. And if anyone does a lot of these virtual events, you're lucky if there's 10 people actually paying attention. Um, And a lot of these big associations, yes, they have hundreds of people, but quite honestly, again, maybe 10 of those hundred are actually paying attention. They got one eye on it the other eye on the TV. Our people were like engaged and you could feel it because the chat, 167 meetups were set up in our app that we did not do, that our attendees did, and over 3,884 people attended
1: those. Mm -hmm. You really know your numbers. That's amazing. Well, we go through the
2: stats, and that's why we invest in that. Um, But I mean, think about that. We created a platform. We had all this education. Our members were so excited. They were able to create their own meetups within that app, and 167 meetups were generated, and they were helping each other. So it's really a full circle uh, kind of event.
1: Mm-hmm, sure was.
0: So uh, you haven't limited yourself to podcasting. You're also an author, a filmmaker, and producer. Why did you decide to branch out to different media outlets, and what have you learned from these different industries?
2: Yeah, well, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was working with my, um, one of my friends who does my PR, And he's like, we got to wrap our heads around what you do, because you've made a movie, you have a conference, you've written a book, and you've done them all fairly well. And what we found out was my core mission in life is to help people be the best that they can be within what they're doing. And it doesn't matter what medium I'm using, I'm using that to unlock that and help people to be the best. So we wrote a book called Start Ugly. When I say we, I always include the community because I get a lot of feedback from people. But the book Start Ugly is about innovation and change, and it's a 100-year-old case study. It's all fictional about someone that uh, starts in the lumber mill industry. But we've literally sold thousands of books. We have close to 100 five-star reviews on Amazon. And that book every day now gets sold. What happens is people like Isabella will refer it to clients or people have trouble with change. It's easy to give them a book that basically has a story built into it. It's a parable. And it's a short book, it, and it has a cool message, and, and you know, it looks like a post-it note on the cover. Yeah. Um. So that's really been amazing. And uh, the movie was uh, out of frustration in the early years of podcasting. People would ask us, "What does the word mean?" So we would have to spend thirty minutes explaining the word podcasting, and then they would tell us, "I still don't understand," or "I don't get what you're doing." Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It wasn't just older people. It was just people in general, like everybody didn't get the word. So, so,
1: but how did you explain it to them? Cause I would have said it's like radio, but not really.
2: Yeah, exactly. That would be like an accurate definition because it's like radio, but not really because it's on demand uh, searchable audio content. That's episodic in nature delivered through the internet. So there's, you know, it's a little bit, and then I'd break down what that means and all that, but that's why we actually made a documentary film. We said, okay, when they keep saying to us, they don't see what they're getting. They don't see what they're getting. We realize that there's a visual component missing since podcasting was audio in the early years. Now there's a lot of video podcasts, but back then it was 99% audio. And that's when we made the messengers, a podcast documentary, we released it, uh, got distribution out of LA, had it up on Amazon for a few years. Now we took it off of Amazon, put it on uh, YouTube. And if you look up the messengers, uh, colon, a podcast documentary, you could see it for free. Um, And it was a really well done movie and we get uh, people commenting about it every day of the week, um, still to this day.
1: How long is it?
2: It's 59 minutes total running time and we traveled to a handful of countries and all over the country um, filming it.
1: When did you say you did that?
2: We started filming in 2016, took us a year and we released the first uh, screener
1: in 2017. Wow. So, did you have a uh, did you storyboard this out? I'm really kind of curious as to how you you developed it. Um, and you went to other countries. So, there did you have a sponsor? Was there a budget?
2: Yeah, actually, we didn't. Uh, I took the profits of Podfest in 2016. We ran out of money shortly after because there wasn't a lot of profit at the time. Uh, so, we crowdfunded it, and the Podfest community uh, gave us uh, 120. Three percent of goal, so we got forgot what it was. I think it was around twenty thousand, something like that. Twenty-three thousand. We used that then to fully fund the film, and uh, we were able to make it as we we went and we we traveled. All. It was a lot of fun. Traveling is probably one of the top expenses if you're making a movie because now you got to pay for flights, hotels, uh, food, uh, gas, uh, car rentals. So once you add that up on top of the crew salary, um, people don't realize like. cost us about fifty thousand. you know probably funded the the other we did not really make much money from it because the way they structure these movie deals um i think we made four or five thousand the first week which was actually incredible you're lucky to make that Um, amazon prime gives you a fraction of a cent if someone clicks on it so you never make money with that uh so it was really great promotions and it was really great for us to meet all these amazing people
1: interesting Uh, And what I mean by interesting is, you know, you have something that's proprietary and it's really challenging to be able to make money on it because you have to use some of these vendors, like whether it's Facebook or YouTube, I guess Vimeo, you could probably get away with it, but I don't know. Do they charge?
2: No, listen, it's just difficult uh, in general. So that's why we put it on YouTube for free now. It's gotten a few thousand views. We gave it away to all kinds of people to post. So uh, on uh, on Amazon, we had thousands of views. The problem is um, we didn't, like, at that point, we might as well just put it on YouTube and give it away free because, yeah. uh, I don't know, whatever, for every thousand views, you get like 10 cents or something. So it didn't matter.
1: No, it doesn't. It sure doesn't. But it does help build up some credibility for, you know, yourself, your brand, and what it is that you're evangelizing about, so to speak.
2: Yeah, for us, it was the mission of getting podcasting out to people that said they didn't see. It was the missing piece in the industry at the time to have something visual. And it put us on the map. Remember, we were a small conference at the time. Now we could say we're the conference that made the official documentary about the medium. So it's a it's a whole different thing. And we still show it when we do our online shows. Podfest Global, are showing it. People are like, when did you make this? We're like, oh, this is, to us it's old news, but to someone watching it today, it's still, this is brand new, you know? So that's what's really cool about a movie. Um, a lot of people don't realize like you watch your favorite star in a movie. then you see the star 20 years later, you're like, man, they're really old. Well, yeah, that movie was done 20 years ago. You've been watching every year since (laughs) Chevy Chase and Christmas Vacation. He's not, that was like 30 years ago, you know, but we, every American tradition, we watch it every, every year. Everybody
1: watches that for Christmas. I know you give it away for free, but I'm thinking that if you ask for donations um, and I I just trying to figure out like a way it can be monetized so that it can help, help the greater message, so to speak? I don't know. Yeah,
2: I mean, at this point, we're happy to give it away for free. Uh, yeah, honestly, it was a vanity metric for it to be up on Amazon Prime for so long. And then I was of the mind of like, let me just put it on YouTube, put it away for free. I don't know if that was right or wrong, but we just didn't, uh, we didn't care anymore at the point. We figured, hey, we made this for the community let the community have free reign of it. Um, so we took it off and put it out on YouTube.
1: So um, I saw a little message from Andrew that tomorrow is your birthday.
2: It's my birthday, and we're announcing if we uh, hit the Guinness World Record, so it's uh, pretty exciting. It is.
1: And what are you doing to celebrate? Because you're getting ready for another event that's going to be next week, so I don't know if you have any downtime. Do you get to enjoy your birthday? Well, my whole life
2: is one big event, so
0: (laughs) So, I've done over 2,000
2: events, so literally... Uh, back in the day, what I used to do for my birthdays is I would I would experiment with a new kind of an event format. And that way, I figured if people didn't like it, they'd they'd still be happy because it came out for my birthday. So I'd use my birthday as experimentation.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, because who's going to say... Can't be me? angry at someone
2: for their birthday, right? No. no.
1: I'm going to make sure that I do anything like that. My birthday's in October, so I'm going to do the same thing. Oh, we're launching this, and it's my birthday, so... <laughs> me my uh, gift, you know, share it. I know oh, we've
2: done. I did a fryer's roast for my birthday one year to see if that would be, you know, well received. We've done a member drive. This is when I had a, an association in Tampa uh, where we called it my big fat Greek birthday uh, party and member drive. So we, we've done all kinds of crazy stuff.
1: So tell me your entrepreneur story. Like where did you go, you know, for, as soon as you went out of school or whatever I know I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead but I'm just curious like how did you get into all of this
2: I've been an entrepreneur from 13 years old so uh, from eight years old I knew I didn't want to work for anyone so I used to make little figurines on the back of my work and my uncles owned a diner so I would pretend like I owned 10 diners or something I was like the richest little Greek American in town so that was like (laughs) my my background and then um I started selling candy at school at 13, so I would make 20 bucks a day there. Half was profit, half was uh, to buy more candy. Then I, I used to sell flavored cappuccinos to diners that didn't have a, uh, a machine, so they'd put the steamed milk with the flavored cappuccino. Um, actually, they'd have to have a machine, but they didn't have different flavors. I've I've done a lot of different businesses, so I've been a serial entrepreneur. So when I went to college, it was to make my father happy, so I could just, and also I was getting paid because uh, I, I was so good with money I would get all these scholarships I was getting I was making money at college so um, by going like like I was getting all these things so that was really a nice ride and then um, moved to Florida got involved in real estate uh, but my my knack I found in my late 20s I love bringing people together and doing live events it's the most painful thing you can do but I'm really good oh my at it. god
1: yeah it is. I, and I I marvel at how good you are also because it is ridiculously hard. I've done a lot of events myself. I've done um some things that are also for my my business consulting company and I would pull in documentaries and then I would get some sponsors and then I would, you know, open the doors for free. Um and the sponsors are the one that paid for, you know, any type of food or whatever I was offering. But we did like um Plastic Paradise, and it was about the overuse of plastic in our environment. And then we, anything that was business related, and then also did um, uh, money. Ooh, it was about the inside the Federal Reserve. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was really, really good. And then there was another one. I, I don't remember the name of it, but I love doing events. Uh, they are so time consuming. And I, again, I have to sit here and give you crazy props because you're excellent at it. You have it down 5,000 people and over the course of two weeks, that is just exhausting and you have a wonderful team with you. So you might want to give a shout out to that amazing wife that you have and Andrew over there and all the others. Yeah, Katie, my
2: wife is amazing. She's a full-time podcaster, but she stepped up to help us because we saw really quickly we couldn't handle everything. And Andrew is my uh, project manager, Andrew Weiss. He's amazing. So it's a, you know, you do it with the team, you get everything that you need. And then we have other people like Steve Saladino is our web guy. And then we have um, a social media team behind it. And then we have a Facebook ads person. So we, you know, it's a, it's a small team of five or six, but we make it happen.
1: I know very small team, but it,
0: what a lot of power behind it. That's what's so incredible. What industries do you want to, or do you plan to branch out to and why so?
2: So, I mean, I'm probably going to stay in the industry of putting on events for new media creators. I don't even think the term new media applies anymore. So I would say podcasting, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Twitch, anything to do with um, the mediums of today, really. So anything through the internet. And then I'll probably dip my foot in ambient voice, which is the voice activated devices and uh, work with a friend of mine developing um, really in-depth skills to allow people to manage their day-to-day activities through those assistant devices uh, to work as their virtual assistants.
1: Okay. Oh, that's really another cool thing. So you're kind of dipping your toe into some of the things we talk about in the second half of the show about uh, future industries, but um, we're going to save that one because I have some other questions I'm going to uh, definitely pull up there for our listeners. They may not know what ambient type of uh, technology is. Do you want to explain that for them?
2: Basically, it's uh, the smart speakers. They're sitting there, and they're in the they're in your they're they're in your furniture in your room. Mm-hmm. And when you activate them, that ambient voice uh, kicks in, and it's uh, basically interacting with you based on what you prompted. Technically those things could interact before you prompt them. So imagine a world where you get up and Alexa says, Hey, good morning, Robin, Uh, would you like me to start your breakfast? She might say, sure. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: then the machines all interact with each other. But the future that um, my friend Steve Tingiras and I have been looking at, and he's really the genius behind it. We do see a future where let's say Isabella, you have uh, work to do, and I need to interact with you. And let's say, you're a famous consultant and I want access to you. And you are really one of the top people when it comes to interns. So let's say I want to interact with you. I have two choices. I could talk to Alexa to ask you a question and then you could program Alexa to either speak back in your voice. So then let's say one person asks a question, you could program Alexa. So that way, anytime moving forward, anyone asks you that question, you have an answer already prepackaged, So you never have to answer another question twice. Wow. Uh, if, you're value, if you're a very um, famous person and everybody wants access to you, then I'll pay a, a $10 a month fee just to ask Alexa questions that ask you questions. And then you get paid by millions of people because they just want to know what's in your head.
1: Mm, that's <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, because I know that right now, like my phone will go, you know, I can go, hey, Siri, blah, blah, blah. And it talks back with me. And I know people that have Alexa and other devices in their home and they can certainly interact. And sometimes it's just like they're I'm at their house and the the I don't know, the device will say, Oh, I didn't understand you. Would you say that again? I'm going, Who just talked to you? Nobody did. <laughs> but it seems to pick something up.
2: Yeah, I mean it's all gonna be in the cars too. So like it's gonna be following us wherever we are. It'll be on your keychain, it'll be on your phone. So I mean if you drive a Tesla, you don't even have a keychain because your cell phone opens your car. So, um, you know, it's all going to be seamless and it's all happening very quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have keyless entry in here. That's one of the things I was showing Robin. So everything, I could not yeah. agree with you more will be run through the phone. I think that's the uh, sign of the beast in reality. It's not Well, COVID necessary. has
2: accelerated a lot of things. So even at the Tampa international airport, I flew out a couple of weeks ago. Um, there used to be a person at a kiosk checking you in. Now it's all, uh, just a machine, like you didn't need a person there anyway. So what it's done is exposed all the stuff you don't really need a person for. And since people have to create touchless systems, they've integrated it almost immediately. So it's really pushed us forward in how we use technology. Um, same here in the offices that I work with, everything's touchless. Like the sink is touchless. Like I don't have to touch right. anything to wash my hands. You know. So that's are you the- talking about
1: clear? I, when I go to the airport, I use clear and scans the retina of my eye.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I have clear. I, I had clear. I don't know if, cause now I haven't flown in all year. So I don't know if I renewed it, but I, I use clear, but no, I'm just talking at the regular Tampa international airport to take your trams out. There used to be a person that would scan you in. Now it's just four like iPad looking kiosks that scan you in. You just walk oh, in those. and then in the American airlines um, part of it, there's no one you just go in the trams. I guess they get you on the other side. So they've, they've literally taken a lot of redundancies out of the systems that were there. Uh, And I don't, I mean, if you ask me, when things go back to normal, those things aren't going back to normal. Those things, they're they're not going to need those people for those areas. So that's, um, that's just what we see right now. And then, uh, you know, ambient voice, the stuff that the voice technology, that's going to, that's going to really push us forward. Um, You know, they have computers right now that are reading like John Maxwell books and you can interact with the, the the artificial intelligence device and debate about the author, like, because it, it it memorizes everything the author did, and it could tell you his viewpoints, and you could debate uh, artificial intelligence about what that person's stance is on a topic. That's right now, today. That's not like tomorrow. We already ah, have, it. Right. So that's uh, that's that's the world. Now the challenge is it takes years for humans to adjust to the technology. Technology exactly. always moves faster than the humans.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's very, very true. Very true. So I'd like to know where that one is too. So if you have a link for that, share that later. It's a Google.
2: It was a Google. Uh, they did a demo a few years back and they were talking about it, but it's somewhere out there on the internet. Neuralink, look at Elon Musk. He's actually, he knows that AI is going to basically uh, probably be the next life form in making us extinct. So now what is he doing? He's hybridizing us with Neuralink. So we have a shot. Yeah.
1: I've seen that. Too.
2: If anyone doesn't know what Neuralink is, it's a chip in your head. They, they cut a little penny-sized hole in your uh, cranium, throw the chip in there, and it's got like thousands of uh, uh, a tenth of the diameter of a hair, uh, thousands of those threads in your brain, and now it receives signals, and it can reprogram your brain.
1: Oh yeah, gosh. Very much so how we think of The Matrix or scary. other movies that are similar to that was uh-huh.
2: supposed to come out at the end of this year. He just did a demo. They have it live in pigs and it works really well. So the first phase, it's going to go into anyone with neurological dysfunction. So Alzheimer's patients, uh, Parkinson's, Huntington's disease. Uh, those are actually fairly easy to, uh, I know Parkinson's fairly easy to fix because it's uh, the dopamine's not firing right. So then you could fix the receptors. So that's like phase one. And then, you know, that thing will store memories up in the cloud. So you and your phone will be you won't even need a phone. You'll be integrated into the cloud yourself. It'll be like like, like literally the matrix. If you want yeah. to learn how to do karate, you just upload the chip.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that. Right. Yeah. And I've also um, I've heard about the 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 things that were going on with Parkinson. I would think that Michael J. Fox is gonna be, ooh, me, first
2: in line. You, yeah, you would think so. And then the other thing that they're doing that's really interesting is um, it's so cutting edge that, uh, you know, you're you're putting these electrodes in your brain. You won't need a phone. You'll be able to think and do things at once. Uh, I mean, you know, they're trying to hack the code and man and machine will be integrated just like a RoboCop, but better. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting time to be alive and for those of us that are young enough we might avoid a lot of the neurological diseases that are uh getting our peers right now so it's interesting to see that happening oh the thing that elon musk says it'll be able to help which i find interesting is um depression it'll be able to regulate people's brain chemistry which is interesting
1: Hmm. That is interesting. I'm going to go look for those articles because uh, I definitely would like to share that as it relates to the the show. So what is Tampa Bay Business Owners? Tell us about that. Uh, That was a chamber-like
2: association we created for business owners in the Tampa Bay area. We started it during the height of the real estate bust, and we grew it from 20 members to 300 members in or five years, and uh, we were the largest association of its kind in, in the Tampa area, and then I was, I had the good fortune of having a successful exit selling the company, and then that's, that was uh, the bridge where I transitioned over to podcasting full-time.
1: I think that was a really smart move, honestly, because real estate, I mean, that's one of the things that we're known for in Florida, right? because we have all of this tourism, although it's not happening now. So I think that was a very smart move. You moved into something that's, you know, much more technology oriented and disseminating information to help people. So you had foresight.
2: Well, yeah, we built it in the real estate bus. So most of our members were not in real estate. We just, we just built it during a recession. It just shows you that anything can be built in any cycle. And now during this cycle, um, we've literally doubled our footprint uh, based on uh, what's going on virtually. So you you always got to use what you can to your advantage and look at all the opportunities out there. When we come back to our live event, which will be in June, of 2021, and at the Hilton in Orlando, we're we're actually going to hybridize the live event model by having an entire virtual track where people all over the world could join us in real time. So we're excited to kind of, not only come back to live events, but hybridizing it with virtual and then also having a virtual event.
1: You know, I was gonna ask you about that one because I know that um, next year, uh, have you booked the hotel really though? Oh uh, yeah, it's
2: say- uh, mid uh, June, it's June 9th through the 13th. We're taking up the entire Hilton right outside the Orange County Convention Center.
1: Oh, I know where that one is. Yeah, okay, great. Have you already on started on promoting Lazy it? River,
2: Lazy River around it, the whole thing.
1: Cool. Have you started uh, advertising for it yet? No,
2: no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll start after this masterclass is done. We'll, we'll get going with that.
1: All righty. I'm going to look for that one for sure. All right. So we're going to, well, I think there's a, the tail end of a question here. So Robin, you take that tail end of that other question. But I think I he think kind of answered
0: that one, right? Yeah, just about how the COVID-19 pandemic impacted you and your businesses personally and what changes you've made.
2: Yeah, so for us, we were going to do a virtual model anyways in the off-season because there's so much um, time till the next event. It's a one-year. So COVID just it didn't accelerate that because that was going to happen. What it did was it allowed us for a much bigger footprint than we would ever had because we were able to track people from 46 different countries, and then we set a world record. So we went big. So our philosophy is go big or go home. So we went big. Mm-hmm. And since then, uh, it's literally – helped us um, breathe new life during the downtime. Now, fortunately for us, we had a live event for the year, so we got to coast and build. Unfortunately for a lot of our peers, they didn't have the same good fortune, but they, they've been transitioning to virtual events as well.
1: You raise another interesting point here. Do you, did you set that 5,000 goal before COVID or when COVID happened?
2: Uh, It was actually a few months after COVID. We were sitting there and sometime in June, we talked to Guinness world record. They're the ones that set the goal for you. So you can't necessarily tell them um, I would do, they would not do anything under 5,000. It was a very difficult goal to make. I thought it was going to be very doable. Once we got into it, we realized we had to push really hard to get it going. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I would think so because uh, 5,000 it is. Doesn't sound like a big number, but, you know, you're, you're very smart, I think, in the way that you handled it. You leveraged it based on, you know, key relationships. And then by making it go global, of course, it had to work. But so much, so much time and energy put into that. And you turned that around so fast. To, so, again, to your credit. Really yeah, we did it on events. a
2: five-week lead time, which is uh, unheard of. Um, don't yeah. know how, but we were able to make it happen.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, to your credit, you really know events. You
2: know it well. Well, yeah, I had the, right. So Isabella, what you're mentioning is a very smart business tip. I know my business, so I had the confidence to do that. If I was starting out, I would not recommend that for anyone with that many speakers.
0: Our show is about internships and remembering someone that gave us a chance. So what do you predict the future of work looks like for your industry 10 to 20 years from now.
1: Now, he was an expert, just so you know, Robin, that we pulled Mm -hmm. in on our future of podcasting. And so he gave a little snippet of that, of what that looks like, and he's obviously a futurist. So he's going to be able to tell us what he predicts it should look like in podcasting. The whole idea of the chip in our body is uh, something that can be a little bit scary, but um, what do you think it's gonna be like? 10 to 15 years? well, let's just go five. Forget it. Too hard to think about 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: even five years is pretty aggressive. Um, I think we're still going to be listening to podcasts. I I do think there'll be two or three really big players in the market. Spotify, Amazon, and a third player we don't know about yet. Uh, I do see podcasting as an industry will have billions of dollars being spent on it yearly. uh, And we will have uh, I would say five times as many podcasts as we have now. now we have around a million. We'll have five to 10 million at least. Um, you don't so think we're, we're
1: going to be going on to YouTube? YouTube is the biggest thing out there. And when it comes to like- Video, video. is
2: growing. Um, I think we're going to see other competitors coming online because what's happening right now is the tech companies are centering one side of the equation and not the other. So they're playing favorites. And I think you're going to see a huge upheaval uh, I don't know how or where. I don't know those answers. I just see a lot of people across both sides uh, being kind of upset of how they're doing things, and they're 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 getting in, involved in in uh, uh, content. So it, there's going to be a lot of differences from what we have now. But as far as where we're at, we'll have more choices to consume. So there'll be more companies and more niche companies delivering niche content. So we're not even at close. So very much the, when we, I grew up, there was five channels and then it went to cable when I was a kid from cable. We went to uh, Netflix and YouTube and all that stuff. Uh, those choices will happen with YouTube, Facebook, uh, TikTok, all these things will fraction off into hundreds of other choices on top of the five or six major social media choices we have now. So we haven't even gone through that uh, growth phase yet. that's gonna impact how people uh, digest information.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree about that one. Um, So everybody's now realized that they can be a star. And that's why, you know, we see so many shows that are out there about who's gonna be America's next talent, you know, and all of the shows, The Voice, anything, just pick one. But people can do that. They can take that destiny, if you will, right into their own hands and put it out there on Facebook, put it out there on YouTube, the channels that they know and people know well. It's really going to be something where I think that people are feeling more empowered than ever moving into the future, to be able to um, leave a little legacy behind. I think that's what everybody wants to do is to be remembered for something. That's why I think that's a motivation, I think as to why people do this.
2: Well, you know, with artificial intelligence, it's basically also it's replacing anyone that does manual or physical labor. The machines Mm -hmm. can do everything. So, um, you know, when you're marketing right now, we type in and we find what we want through search. But when I'm talking to the machine and serving up what I need in real time and then calling the local pizzeria or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the few areas that you could actually make money is being an influencer or paying an influencer to promote your product so having a niche product so you're going to see a lot of that grow because that's going to be one of the last things to replace now they do have artificial intelligence devices creating classical music and it's pretty good they're also creating techno so it's not like they can't create art but it's it's going to take a while
1: yeah i've definitely heard those types of um Those types of music too. And also the robots, you know, I I saw this one, it was a video where Google had created the uh, AI so that when I was calling to get a haircut, go and call and say, oh, I want to get my haircut. I'm interacting with this AI um, device that can actually tell and respond to my questions no matter what they were. So I would go, "Mm," well, at least on the video, it was doing it. Well, no, Saturday isn't going to work. I need this day. So no matter what direction you went, it actually sounded exactly like a live person. And the reason why it was so appealing is because it removed some of the um, friction and the hostility that can sometimes come out of human emotions when you're interacting with uh, customer service, so to speak so is able to provide more empathy and i i
2: know i know the demo you're talking about i know exactly what you're talking about it's um yeah so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking well how can i how can i get the most out of what's going on in the future i always tell people like just think think through whatever you're being trained on what you're going to school for Is it possible, like, if I was an accountant, I'd be scared, because that's, like, very easy to automate, honestly, it's numbers. It is. Mm -hmm. The only reason accountants have made more money, they're one of the only fields that have been automated to death, and yet they make more money, because people hate numbers, it's a boring job, no one wants to do it. So they, they still make money because of that, but honestly, if you think about artificial intelligence it'll be able to crunch numbers better than any, than any accountant and it'll have all the loopholes and everything in, in the system. And it'll tell you what you can do. So I just don't, um, I don't see a future. If I was going there, I would go into a very niche part of accounting because that'll take a while before they automate that. But I wouldn't want to be a general, I'm talking about 10, 10 years sure. out. I wouldn't want to be a general CPA right now. There's no problems, but they're going to be very upset a few years from now. I mean, all the journalists were when they got uh, blogs replaced their livelihood from, you know, a nice journalist job where they're making good money and, mm-hmm. you know, barely working compared to what the millennials are, are, millennials are cranking out more content than than's ever been
1: cranked out. Yeah, I think part of how the differentiation is going to be seen is the way that um, this is about interacting with a human and having more of a relationship, being able to tap into things that are creative through that uh, experience that we have together whether it's through brainstorming or you know whatever it is but I think that is going to be where the differentiation becomes as I mentioned um, and the money money begins to go because it's creating something that is we're, we're made for relationships as people and that's what we want there's going to be this place of uh, finding that balance between automation and the interaction with others. I think that this whole COVID experience has been something that's really tested the ability for people to understand their personality type and how they want to interact with people. Because it seems, even though this is, we've got audio, we've got visual, it's still less personal than being in the room with someone. Right. more senses you know more interaction the better the experience so i feel like that's going to be where the value comes it's very much like going to school and the whole education system is uh, definitely feeling the pain of that people go to school to be socialized mm-hmm. not it's not because you're getting a four-year degree and you know i was a public classroom teacher and an adjunct professor but you know, I can tell you the reason why people go there it's for socialization and because they don't, didn't really want to have to interact in this method and now we're all being forced to. Right. So it is there. Okay so let's talk about interns. Did you ever, were, were you ever an intern? Um, what was it like if you did? Because you were an entrepreneur at 13 so I don't think you, I think you bypassed that internship experience.
2: Yeah, I was always a commuter student. So I always worked when I was going to school. So I don't, I don't think I've, I mean, my first job, I was 14, I had to get paid under the books because it was illegal to work at 14 or whatever, 13. So, um, no, I, I never was an intern, but we did have interns for Tampa Bay business owners. And I will tell you uh we had three, four exceptional interns and then one that wasn't so good. But I remember, I barely remember the exceptional ones. Unfortunately, they were so good that we forgot that they were there. The one that was no good. I will never forget because of the damage that was inflicted on the business,
0: <laughs> Yeah, not,
2: not, not a lot of damage, but it was the intern didn't know what they wanted. They were confused. And instead of telling us like, Hey, I'm not enjoying this they kept telling us that they wanted to work. And my poor wife, like I tried to train and my wife was a very good operations person, set up systems. So because the person didn't know what they wanted and their heart wasn't in it and they didn't have the guts to tell us that, she must've spent thousands of hours creating systems for that individual. And Mm -hmm. I remember telling her, I'm like, can't you see like this kid doesn't care. Like if someone doesn't care, it doesn't matter what kind of system you put in. And eventually he was like so glad when we were like, hey, if this doesn't work for you, you don't have to do it. And he he was like, yeah. So I would just tell anyone that's an intern, like just be straight up with people. If your heart's not in it, go find something that you like.
1: Because it does more
2: damage to try and act like you like something to the people trying to work.
1: I agree, I agree. So Robin's here, and this is one of the things she wanted to do was to be able to interact on a show. So I know she's going, Ooh, I'm so excited on the inside.
0: We about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Robin, um, I, see, I,
2: I could tell that Robin's listening, and I'll tell you this much. I, mm-hmm. like, it was someone else that had, like, their intern with them? And I could tell that the person was not. She wasn't like, interested in it. The person was not oh. present. Yeah, they were just like their brain was elsewhere. Yeah. And it was from it was from an Ivy League institution, and I was like, wow, like what <laughs> a kind of what kind of impression is this person making? But um, yeah, right,
0: especially from a place like that.
2: Yeah, so it's great to see <laughs> that you're engaged and you're you're you know you're you're listening and you're formulating. That makes a big difference.
0: Thank
1: you. Yes. So mentoring advice. What is it that you pass on, regardless if it was an intern, uh, people that are entering podcasting? What is some great mentoring advice you pass on to all of us?
2: This is just for anyone in life. Um, You're better off doing 100, trying out like 20 different things to find out what you like Mm -hmm. And when you decide you don't like something, don't guilt yourself over it. Don't try and make yourself like it. Don't get me wrong. Things are hard. So you have to work hard at stuff. Like what I do bringing influencers together, that's not easy, but I love doing it. But I would tell any intern, like, go try out 10 different internships. Uh, Like the more you could do the better, because now, you know, what. as as each um, time you do something, you realize, Oh, I like that. I don't like this. Uh, technically for my daughters, I would love to have them starting to intern when they're like 13, 14 years old, just to go help. Like, hey, do you want to work in the medical environment? When you get to see stuff, I have a friend that went to college to be a doctor and he realized that he fainted whenever he saw blood. I forgot what it's called. There's a term for it. But wouldn't you have liked to known that before you did all this pre-education, before you went into medical school? Like that's something. So my philosophy of start ugly is just get started find out what and then you always can perfectly execute but um, all too often I see adults that don't know what they want in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because
1: I, I totally agree with you. People, we're complex, you know, we have these various preferences, we have our environment, however we've grown up, but our personality type definitely determines a lot of who we are, um, the environmental factors, your family, Um, But we also, you know, get bored with things. So we want to be able to try new stuff. And you got to be able to realize that whatever you choose, it's not going to be maybe for the rest of your life. It could be, but maybe not. Well,
2: especially in innovation, there's nothing that's for, you know, like people have two year, three year, four year, five year stints. There's a long time now. So I, I don't know what that is. All I would tell anyone listening is figure out what areas you want to try go try and fail backwards, like just keep going, fail forward, as they say, it doesn't really matter. But the more experiences you have, the more you could catalog what you like, what you don't like. Uh, I had met a guy that was um, a temp. He was a temp uh, and he worked 29 or 30 jobs, maybe 50 jobs as a temp. And he eventually wound up in this other fund, this guy that would buy distressed assets from fortune 500 companies this gentleman wind up becoming—I uh, don't know if he's a billionaire, but close to it—because he temp working the phones, calling, and they wind up putting him in the deals. And now he owns his own fund, where he owns like a, a portfolio of companies. But he was literally a temp, and now he's—if he's not a billionaire, he's very close to it—all wow. from trying tons of jobs till he found something that really uh, clicked with him.
0: That's awesome.
1: So before we are wrapping up our show, I want to make sure that we get to talk about Masterclass. So why should anybody sign up for PodFest Masterclass? So PodFest
2: Masterclass, first off, we have access to educators no one else does. So, I mean, you know this, Isabella, we find the best in their field. So PodFest Masterclass, we're teaching people how to do Patreon. So we have four presenters talking about Patreon, which is how people support. We call it a, um, a listener-supported model without government involvement. It's direct support, you know, uh, the person that listens to the person that creates. We also have a system on email marketing, helping people understand how to um, market to their base via email marketing. And then we're talking about free traffic and paid traffic. Free traffic is organic, things that you do, and then paid traffic, a lot of people don't realize, but in podcasting and and, and these different platforms, you could actually pay for traffic. You could pay for ads that deliver subscribers. And I'm not talking about hacks. I'm talking about a lot of these players have resources where you could actually pay for ads that get you direct subscribers, legitimate subscribers for people looking to find things that they want to listen to. So this is a very unique circumstance with 40 really specifically chosen educators. We're also going to go into Instagram, how to grow through Instagram. We have one on Twitter. And then, um, uh, you know, we do have a zero to launch for the beginners to start. That's free. So we have a bunch of free stuff up front. Um, I should say low cost is like 25 bucks. And then we have stuff for the masterclass for what you want. We, uh, we're we already at 300 passes. We believe we'll be somewhere around 1500 attendees. So it'll be a huge event, even this little one. So it's gonna be amazing.
1: Yep. And I also saw that, you know, for those that can't make it, you had the recorded shows that they could go and tag into and-
2: Yeah, you can invest. We really set this, uh, we, we set everything, pretty much all the tickets are under a hundred bucks except for one level of pass. And they start at forty nine dollars. I think twenty five, forty nine, seventy nine. So you could invest in a ticket, includes all the recordings, and then you could study up on everything. It's really, um, it, it, it's for this niche of podcasting. It's probably the most in depth kind of education you could get anywhere in the world. And I, I say long? that with confidence because we we did Podfest Global, and we know for a fact <laughs> it's yeah. it's, a, it's a it's probably some of the top education you could find anywhere.
1: How long do they have access to those links? Oh, it, once, if
2: you invest in the videos, I mean, it's pretty much a lifetime, you know, as long as I'm around. So you, you must Facebook
1: have them on your Facebook page. Is that where they
2: are? No, we actually have this new thing called Pass, and we're able to organize them like a Netflix account. So we're, we're going to be unveiling that soon. So then you Ooh, can just scroll and nice. it'll recommend. It's some really cool stuff.
1: That is super, that is very innovative. We use
2: Vimeo right now, but we're about to transition to the Netflix style app.
1: Oh, very, very nice. Very glad to hear that. Okay, so where can our listeners, how can they contact you? How do they find you, social channels? What would you like to share with our listeners?
2: Uh, just if you look up Chris Kremitzos on Google, it'll respell my last name uh, and you'll find ChrisKremitzos.com, or uh, just find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and uh, the different platforms.
1: Mm-hmm. And then um, I think, yeah, that's easiest. But you might need to spell your last name just one more time for our listeners. Yeah, it's
2: uh, Chris with the C, C H R I S, and last name is K R I M, like Mary, I, T is in Tom, S is in Sam, O is in Oscar, S is in Sam, Chris Krimitos.
1: Well, thank you again, and I just want to be able to say um, to our listeners, if you want to know more about Chris. Be sure to go look him up, Google him for sure. And then always look for PodFest. And I want to thank Robin. Good job. Great job on the show. So thank you. We are signing out.
2: Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
1: The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios.